Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3 this morning, beginning in verse 7, going through verse 12. Now, as we come to our text for this morning, we're confronted with a very important question. Can a Christian lose their salvation? It is actually a question that, is, that will come up time and again throughout the book of Hebrews, most notably in chapter 6. And this particular question has been raised throughout the history of the church. And there are faith traditions and denominations that come, on, come down on both sides of the issue. There are some Christian denominations that teach a person who has been saved can turn away from Christ and lose the salvation that they once possessed. Within these traditions, the main question at hand is that of free will. If salvation comes to us through our free choice to believe the gospel, then that individual can also change their mind and later choose not to believe the gospel and therefore lose their salvation. On the other side of the debate are those who teach that one who is truly saved can never fully or finally fall away. They can never lose their salvation. They may go through periods of wandering and questioning, but in the end, the Lord will restore them and bring them safely home. This is the teaching of our own Reformed heritage. Our confession of faith, the Westminster Confession, says in chapter 17, They whom God has accepted in His Beloved, that is, in Christ, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. This theological conviction is rooted in our understanding of Scripture, flowing from God's eternal decree and not the ever-changing will of man. And it's reflected throughout Scripture. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. In Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, salvation flows from God. He is the one who gives eternal life. He is the one who begins a good work. He is the one who loves us, and therefore He is the one who will complete this work, and no one will be able to snatch us out of His hand. And we must have this truth firmly fixed in our minds as we come to our text for this morning. Because if we are unmoored from the truth of our security in Christ, we might become discouraged. And we might turn from our faith in the work of Christ to reliance upon our own work for security and salvation. 
Nevertheless, we cannot dismiss our text, nor can we overlook the many passages of Scripture that warn the church of the real possibility of falling away from the faith. The word for falling away from the faith is apostasy. And if our understanding of eternal security does not have a place for the reality of apostasy, then it is not a biblical understanding of this topic. People do fall away from the faith. There are people who give every indication that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in the end they do not. We must understand that these two seemingly contradictory truths are in reality the clear and consistent teaching of Scripture. Those who are truly saved cannot and will not lose their salvation. Nevertheless, many who outwardly confess Christ will one day deny Him. And the difference between the two is a matter of the heart. And what we will learn in our text is that to persevere in the faith, every Christian must heed the warnings of Scripture and trust in Christ alone to change our heart. So hear now the word of the Lord, Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us pray. Father, we come to you at this time and we bless you before you are a great God. We bless you for the testimonies of the prophets, for the statutes of your law, for the gospel of Christ and the witness of the apostles. We pray now that you would grant us the spirit of your glory and the brightness of your presence, that we might read your word and understand through Jesus Christ, our gracious Lord. Amen. The first thing that we see in our text is the clear warning of hardening our hearts against God's Word. Look again at verses 7 through 8. There we read these words, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. As we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, the author continues to root his arguments in Scripture. And here he goes to Psalm 95 and quotes this warning given to Israel, do not harden your hearts. 
a few things that we should note from these verses. First, we see that Scripture affirms the divine origin of Scripture itself. While there was a human author who wrote Psalm 95, ultimately the author of these words is the Holy Spirit Himself. Paul says that all Scripture has been breathed out by God. Peter says that the authors of the Bible were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And here, the author to the Hebrews writes, the Holy Spirit says. And therefore, we cannot pick and choose what we're going to believe out of God's Word. We must receive the Word of God as it truly is. God speaking to us, His people. The second thing we see is rooted in the first point. That is, as we hear the Word of God, we are listening to the voice of God. It seems clear enough, but we tend to forget this truth. The Word of God, God's holy, inspired, inerrant Word that we have for us in our Bible, is God speaking to us. And therefore, we must listen, and we must submit to what God is saying to us in His Word. Third, to listen and to hear the voice of God, we must not harden our hearts against His Word. We cannot put ourselves in the position that we hold any allegiance above what God says, for there is no higher authority than what God speaks to His people. There is no higher loyalty that we can have in this world. What God says, we must believe and we must obey it. Now in our text, the broader point that the author is making is that the people of Israel had the Word of God, they heard the voice of God, but they hardened their hearts against it. They did not believe what the Lord was saying to them. The word of the Lord is filled with warnings not to fall away from following after the Lord. And John 15, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. In Matthew 24, and then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold but the one who endures to the end will be saved. We must hear these clear warnings of God's Word. There will be those who harden their hearts against the commands of God. They will depart from the faith. They will not abide in Christ. They will go after deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Their love will grow cold, and they will pursue the love of money and the acceptance of this world. One of the worst things that we can do as parents is make empty threats. Your child is misbehaving, and you say to him, If you keep this up, you're going to regret it. If you don't stop, I'm going to ground you for life. 
If you don't do the dishes, I'm going to take your phone away for a whole year. But your child knows you're bluffing. They know that you will never punish them because you've never done it before or because the threatened punishment is just way over the top. And so what happens when you make such empty threats? Well, your children ignore them, right? What you say means nothing to them because they don't take your word seriously. They harden their hearts against your word because they don't believe that you will follow through with what you say. And there are many who have bought into the false belief that warnings in Scripture are empty threats. You have been taught that once you say the right prayer or go through the right ceremony or perform the right ritual, that you are eternally secure. That if you have gone through and said this specific prayer, your ticket is punched to heaven and no matter what you do with the rest of your life, you are going to be with God eternally in glory. And that's a lie. There is nowhere in Scripture that teaches such a thing. Rather, the Word of God continually warns the church, do not fall away. Do not harden your heart. Do not drift from the truth. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And those of you who are young, you need to hear this. You may have been baptized in the church and take communion in the church, and gone through confirmation in the church. But just because you have gone through all of these outward ceremonies does not mean that you are eternally secure in Christ. For the truth of Scripture is that all who are truly saved will not and cannot be lost, but not everyone who professes to know Christ actually knows Him. And there will be many who harden their hearts against His Word. The Holy Spirit did not vainly inspire these warnings against apostasy. And therefore, we must hear these warnings and not harden our hearts, but submit to Christ. As we continue in our text, the author provides a clear example of what he means to fall away from the Lord. Listen to verses 8 through 10 as he gets into Psalm 95. He says, quoting Psalm 95, Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. Now, Psalm 95 was written as a reflection upon the rebellion of Israel as recorded in Numbers 14. And I know that all of you remember exactly what happened in Numbers 14 because we went through Numbers like four years ago, right? But for those of you who have joined us since then... In Numbers 14, the people of Israel has been, have been delivered out of slavery in Egypt. 
They've miraculously crossed the Red Sea. They've been led by the cloud during the day and by a pillar of fire by the night through the desert. They received the law of God on Mount Sinai. They defeated stronger enemies. They received water from the rock. They've seen the work of God and they have received His word. But when they came to the land of Canaan, they reject the Lord's good gift. They send 12 spies in to check out the land. And when these 12 spies return, 10 of them say, there ain't no way we can take this land. The people are too big, they're too strong, they're too numerous. God has only brought us here to destroy us. Despite Joshua and Caleb, two of the twelve spies, encouraging the people that the Lord would provide the victory, the people of Israel rebel against the Lord, refuse to receive the good gift the Lord is giving them, and they go astray in their hearts. And this is not the only time we see examples of people in Scripture betraying their professed faith in God. Judas, one of the twelve disciples of Christ, who saw the miracles and the healings, who saw demons cast out, who heard the word of the Lord spoken over and over and over again, turned from his faith. Demas, an early Christian who worked alongside Paul and Luke, was drawn away from this faith by his love for the world. In 1 Timothy we read, Wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And we need not only look to Scripture, but to our own experiences to see examples of those who made a shipwreck of their faith who have allowed a wandering heart to lead them away from Christ. Each of you who are here have a friend, a family member, a child, a parent, a fellow servant in the church, whom you believed was a sincere follower of Christ and has subsequently abandoned their faith altogether. My best friend from college, whom the Lord used to strengthen me in my faith, who stood with me in my wedding and I in His, who knew the Scriptures better than anyone I had ever met, who challenged me to share my faith with others and to grow in my theological understanding. His heart went astray, and he no longer professes faith in Christ. And we do ourselves no favors if we are unwilling to acknowledge the numerous examples of those who have gone astray in their hearts. Apostasy is real. People who profess Christ leave the faith as their heart goes after the world. You must take this warning seriously and ask yourself, what captivates my heart? What does my heart go after? Is it sports? Is it leisure? Is it power? 
Is it friends? Is it career? Is it my health? What is it that your heart is stayed upon? Because if it's anything other than Christ, when the rubber hits the road, you will follow after your heart that loves the things of this world more than it loves Christ. In the late 16th century, there was a three-way battle for the throne of France. This battle erupted into an all-out war called the War of the Three Henrys, because each of the contenders for the throne were named Henry. Now, one of the three of the Henrys was Henry of Navarre. Navarre was a region of France that was supportive of the Protestant Reformation. And Henry of Navarre himself, from all outward signs, supported the Reformed faith. His military support came from his Protestant homeland. He seemed to have a genuine confession of faith and many outward works to prove his sincerity. But as the war continued, a compromise was offered to this Henry. If you would be willing to renounce the Reformed faith, and convert to Roman Catholicism, then the crown is yours. And in response to the offer, he infamously said, the crown is worth a mass. Translation, the crown is worth giving up my professed faith that I might gain it. You see, Henry wasn't Protestant. He wasn't really Catholic either. Rather, he loved the world and he was willing to do whatever he needed to do to receive his earthly crown. And if we would persevere in the faith, we must acknowledge this numerous examples of those who outwardly profess Christ, but through time it was shown that the crown they were pursuing was an earthly crown and not a heavenly one. Those who have gone astray in their hearts and have not fixed their hearts upon Christ. You see, we must hear these warnings. We must acknowledge these examples. And finally, we must see the consequences of an unbelieving heart. The author continues his point in verses 11 through 12. If you look down there. He says, as I swore in my wrath... They shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. As Israel rebelled against the Lord in the desert, he swore that not one of the unbelieving generation would enter the land of Canaan. They would not enter the rest save Joshua and Caleb, the two faithful and believing spies. And here we see that there are dire consequences for rebelling against the Lord. The people of Israel had fled Egypt, not only to be free of slavery, but to possess their own land, to possess this rest, this inheritance. But because they were unwilling to trust the Lord, they lost the rest of Canaan. So what is our response? Well, the author, transitioning from quoting Psalm 95 in verse 11 to his own commentary in verse 12, says, Take care, brothers. Another example 
or rather another translation might be, see to it, brothers. Look to this example of Israel and see that you may have all the spiritual advantages and experiences in the world. But if your heart still does not believe, then you will fall away from the living God. That is, you will cut yourself off from the life and the life everlasting that belongs to those who are truly in Christ. This is no empty warning. This is no vain threat. The Word of God is saying to us this day, take care. Just because everything looks outwardly great, if your heart is not right with the Lord, you will fall away. You might have the right t-shirts. And you might have the right bumper stickers. And you might go to the right schools. And you might listen to the right music. You might read the right books. And you might ascribe to the right theology. But if your heart has not been changed by the Lord, then you do not know Him. You might be in the body of believers, but a day will come when the temptations of this world cause you to drift away and eventually leave the church. This is what John means when he says in 1 John chapter 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, not, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. This is no small matter. The consequences are real. Apostasy happens. And there are many who have sat in these very pews, listening to the Word of God proclaimed from this pulpit, singing praises to the Lord, reciting the creeds, receiving communion, and now they have no part in Christ. Take care, brothers and sisters, that you are not content with outward displays, but be assured that you believe in your heart. When I was in college, during the summer I worked at a Christian summer camp called Kids Across America. This camp was in southern Missouri, just outside the town of Branson. And at this camp we would host middle school aged children from across America, as the name says, who would come from an inner city context. The children would experience the outdoors, many for the first time, and we would teach them things like boating and swimming and hiking. They would do high ropes courses and play basketball. And Along with all the fun, we would have nightly worship services in which we would have a speaker share the gospel and call these young children to faith in Christ. And following one of these services, a young camper came to me and wanted to talk about what it meant to be saved. And so, again, I shared the gospel with him. I talked to him about his sin and how his sin separated him from God. I told him that he needed to repent of his sin and trust that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross had washed away the guilt of his sin. I talked about how trusting in Christ meant not only believing that Christ died to pay for our sins, but that his death set us free from our sins, that we might live in freedom and one day live with God forever. And after he heard the gospel, he said, I want to pray. I want to pray to be saved. And so we prayed together. And as soon as we finished praying, he looked at me and said, 
this is wonderful. Now I've been saved five times. I was crestfallen to say the least. But in that moment, I realized that many times people can hear the gospel. They can outwardly respond to the gospel. But their hearts have not been changed by the gospel. Because no matter how many times this confused child prayed the sinner's prayer, it wasn't going to save him. It wasn't going to punch his ticket to heaven. And this is how you understand salvation. If it is, then you will be left feeling unsure and insecure. You will hear this sermon and you will think, I don't know, maybe I need to pray again. Maybe it didn't take the first time. Maybe I need to be saved a second, third, fourth, or fifth time. Maybe I need to be baptized again. Maybe I need to come forward again. Maybe I need to have another experience to assure myself that I am truly saved and I won't fall away. But we must see what the author is saying. For three times he has spoken of the heart. A hardened heart. A wandering heart. An unbelieving heart. All led to falling away. And this is what it comes down to. Perseverance is a matter of the heart. Security is about a changed heart. For the promise of the gospel is I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Not that I'm willing to say that it is true. Not to say that I'm willing to just go along with what everybody else is doing, but rather has the gospel changed my heart. This past week, I know of at least one church member that had heart surgery. Maybe there were more. You know what happens in heart surgery? You don't do it yourself. Okay? They put you down. And somebody else comes and they work on your heart. If your salvation and the assurance of your salvation is rooted in something that you can do, is rooted in some ritual that you went through, is rooted in something that somebody else did on your behalf, then you will always be unsure and insecure in your faith. Because the only one who can change our hearts is God Himself. God alone changes the heart. God alone gives eternal life. God alone is the one who does not change. And therefore, if you would have security, if you would not wander in your heart, if you would not have a hardened heart, then God Himself by His Spirit must change your heart. And so I ask you, has something happened to you that you could not do to yourself? Has your heart been changed by the Lord? If yes, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for His grace to change your heart. But if not, don't walk away from the warnings of Scripture. Don't walk away from the Word of God that says, See to it, brothers. 
and go to His Word and hear the Gospel again and call out to Him in prayer and receive His Spirit. Trust that He will change your heart. For this is what God desires to do. To change the heart of His people. So do not harden your hearts. Do not allow your hearts to go astray. Do not be content with an unbelieving heart, but rather trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that you might have life and life everlasting. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess that we want to control you. And we want to put together a manual by which we know if we check all the boxes off, then you are obligated to do what we want you to do. And yet as we come to your word, we see that you are a living God. And you are a God who changes hearts. And so we pray in this time, Holy Spirit, even as you speak through your word, would you speak to the hearts of your people? And would you do heart surgery upon us even now? Take out of us the heart of stone and give us the heart of flesh. We pray, O God, that all of those who have been brought into your fold and have received life everlasting, that you would give to them an assurance of their salvation that they might walk in the freedom of that. And I pray that you would afflict all who are fooling themselves until they see the unbelieving heart that is within them and run to you in repentance and receive the new heart that you give. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen.